Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 24. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and in this episode, you will listen to the interview with Jensen Azarias. Jensen is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and the founder of the nonprofit organization Higher Ground that since 2011 has offered judo, jiu-jitsu, and personal development classes in its after-school program for youth in underprivileged areas in Tucson, Arizona. Amazing program and very inspired story. He talks about self-control, resilience, and the importance of developing a growth mindset. So stay tuned right after the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. Oos. On September 29th of 2018, it took place the first Live Jiu-Jitsu fundraiser in Tempe, Arizona. The event consisted in two seminars taught by world-class black belts as well as a Jiu-Jitsu garage sale. Seminar instructors that donated their time and knowledge included Augusto Tanquinho, Josh Rodriguez, Gerson Otwigi, Samir Chantre, Karen Antunes, Sarah Black, and Jair Lorenzo. The event was well attended and we appreciate the support of the BJJ community. We were able to raise $2,500 to help fund the Guardian Gym in Oakland, California with their Cash to Clean program. For more information about Guardian Gym and Cash to Clean program, plus to learn more about Live Jujus and how you can donate to this nonprofit organization, please visit www.livejujitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Jensen Azarias, who is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and brown belt in judo. He is the founder and CEO of the nonprofit organization Higher Ground. Jensen is leading a large-scale solution for Tucson's at-risk youth to graduate from high school and eventually give back to the community. His visionary leadership and strategic collaborations began a decade ago when he tutored and mentored 10 of his son's friends who were failing school. Jensen, who had just moved from Philippines at age 18, discovered that these children were not struggling academically due to the deficiencies in the school system, but from the development effects of poverty, trauma, and abuse. In 2007, Jensen and his wife, Barbie, started the nonprofit organization Higher Ground, serving over 120 students. Higher ground success can be attributed to Jensen's development of formalized program of assessment, grit development, holistic family support, healthy relationship development, and social emotional learning administered by a team of committed staff and volunteers. Currently, over 2,000 youth benefit annually at no cost to family. Today, Higher Ground employs more than 30 staff, 35 AmeriCorps and 50 volunteers. They are integrated into 16 different schools, which includes two largest school districts in Tucson, Arizona, Tucson Unified School District and Sunnyside Unified School District. Staff and volunteers coordinate with educators, community partners, and families to support Tucson's critically at-risk youth and partner in providing alternative to suspension programs. Higher Ground has successfully integrated social-emotional learning, life coaching, and community building 
into the daily curriculum and is working to continue this work with other surrounding schools and will be expanding this integration in other schools in the state and eventually in the country. So Jensen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Man, for people who listen out there don't know Jensen about his work, does an amazing, incredible work in Tucson, Arizona. I've been aware of the program for a few years. They, they bring competitors because they offer, and he's going to be talking a lot about this, about they do offer jujitsu plus other activities. And I interview here not only entrepreneurs, high performers, and people who are actually from nonprofits as well have been doing incredible work. And that's why I wanted to bring you here to share with people more about, about the work and the, man, the importance of giving back. So let us know how did BJJ show up in your life? Um, so I've always been a martial arts um, practitioner and fan. Um, when I was young, I was very small. I had asthma. Um, and so um, my father, um, first thing introduced me to martial arts, uh, different styles of martial arts. And then I remember in um, college, um, I first got introduced to BJJ because um, one of my friends, um, you know, we were all martial arts fans, um, showed me a fight of Hoist Gracie. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I remember um, that fight, you know, this 130 pound dude, you know, post guard, triangles and it was the old school eight-man tournament yeah it basically runs through everybody and i'm like that that is the kind of effective martial art that you know i that i've always loved i, I was involved in eskrima in the philippines involved in a little bit of judo japanese jiu-jitsu so my background was always full contact and then we did muay thai you know full contact sports and so when i first came here i uh, started teaching kids a little bit of martial arts um but you know i couldn't really teach them a screamer <laughs> you know yeah. very different environment so i started just teaching them a little bit of grappling and then eventually um you know i had a friend who in their garage was doing jiu-jitsu. Um, so I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu with him. And then when I started Higher Ground, um, you know, I started teaching kids, continued teaching kids a little bit of this grappling. And the kids found a jiu-jitsu tournament. Um, and so we were, you know, back then I had a very different style of teaching them, very, very different. And so we went to the jiu-jitsu tournament. Uh, took five kids. This was about six years ago. Three of them took gold, but two of them lost inside the guard, all mm -hmm. in a triangle. Mm -hmm. And so after that, I started looking up uh, uh, local gyms in town, and I got connected with the now black belt David Riley, um, who runs Undisputed, and basically asked him if he'd be willing to, you know, donate some of his time to my kids. And he was like, I'll do you one better. You know what? I'll train you. You can come in, train you, and then you can coach your kids, mm -hmm. and then um, you can bring your kids to the gym as well. And so after that, I started training in. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ever since six years ago and haven't stopped. I love it. And then everything I learned at the gym, I bring back to the kids. And so that's kind of how Jiu-Jitsu got started with me. Awesome. And big shout out to Dave too, who is a supporter of the Arizona Federation with the events and is always bringing the students to, so doing an amazing job in Tucson as well. So great job. So how do you feel BJJ relate to life? Um, You know, I actually encourage all my staff to do jiu-jitsu um and the way i um and the way i always put it is 
jujitsu for one is a great equalizer you know in life you all get the same opportunity you know sometimes you do get you do start a, a few steps uh, backwards than everyone because you know if you start jujitsu and you're not in shape you're not athletic you know you're you're smaller than everybody yeah sure you, you do have a disadvantage and we're gonna acknowledge that but once you step onto those mats just like life your disadvantages can become advantages. You know, mm -hmm. you, you learn to adopt the techniques. And then the beauty of jiu-jitsu is it never lies. You know, on the mats, you know, once sparring comes, you know, there isn't, there isn't any way to hide, um, to hide what you're not doing or what you are doing. You're vulnerable. And in life, if you want to be, if you want to be successful at what you're pursuing, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And then at the same time, just like life, you know, jiu-jitsu is an ever constant learning. You know, you could be a black belt. I've watched black belts who are still learning and, and there's Absolutely. always new creative ways. Uh, but at the same time, you know, and that's life, you know, you got to constantly learn, be creative. But at the same time, one of the basic principles in jiu-jitsu is if you get good at the basics, if you remember the basics and you drill that, then you know what? There's no substitute for that. You know, everything builds up on that. And life is like that. You got to master a few things in life. And if you can master those things in life, you can be good at anything. You know, you can be creative and all of that and be good at anything. But if you don't have the basics, you know what? You'll always fail. And then finally, to me too, the one great thing about jujitsu that to me is just like life. You know, at the end of the day, there's a certain level of jujitsu where it's not a matter of skill, it's not even a matter of athleticism. It's a matter of grit and resiliency. You know, many a time I've competed where literally I knew the guy in front of me was more athletic, had more time to train, and probably more athletic than me. But at the end of the day, it was the sheer perseverance and resiliency that, you know what, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to do, you know, that's why I love open weight tournaments. You know, mm. I know, I know, you know, I know the disadvantage, but at the end of the day, it's a matter of that sheer grittiness and resiliency. And you know what? A lot of times in life, it really boils down to that. You may not have the same amount of resources as the other people. You may not have the same amount of training. You may not have, but if you are willing to give it your all and you are resilient, you know what? Sometimes jiu-jitsu and life boils down to that. How, how willing are you to fight that position? How much willing are you to keep shrimping and, 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 you know, and to give it your all to escape that? How, how willing are you to really give it your all and turn that into an opportunity? And you know what? That's jiu-jitsu and that's life. Absolutely. And I mentioned a little bit on intro about how we started. But um, when did you have, I gave some of the, time frame but when did you have that spark to pursue the vision of giving back in that way with a uh, higher ground but even doing this the the small scale one that you started and so how that came about and so if you could explain a little bit more about it sure um uh, I grew up in the Philippines. Um, for those not familiar with the Philippines, the Philippines is a uh, development, uh, developing country. So it's a third world country is another term for it. Very poor. Um, uh, uh, for the first five years of my life, I grew up in the slums um, with my mom, without my father. Uh, my father came back to my life around age five. Um, but very, um, my father 
lived a very different life. And so there was some abuse um, and, and some things, um, you know, my father didn't grow up with parents. So he didn't really know how to do those things. Um, I saw poverty straight offhand. I saw violence straight offhand. My martial arts training in the Philippines was not for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a lot of it was also for survival. I've had to use it um, in, in a real life situation several times. Um, and then, of course, the anger that built up in me because of, of, of my, you know, because of what my father, um, you know, growing up. So finally, when I turned 18, I decided, you know what, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. I want opportunity. Thankfully, my father acknowledged me as his son. He was an American citizen, allowed me to have the great opportunity of pursuing things here in the United States. So he came here when I was 18, my first time in another country, first time on a plane, first time everything, didn't know anybody, lived with a person who was my dad's friend, who was willing to let me live with him for a few months, found a job, moved out on my own. And in my job, I found my wife who had a stepson. My, uh, who had a son who became my stepson, um, but he was very angry, had gone through a lot of trauma in his life. Um, and, 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 you know, his father just left him. And so didn't really know how to adjust to a lot of things. So I started tutoring him and teaching him martial arts as a way to express his anger because it was the only way I knew to express my anger. Um, started bringing a lot of his friends to my apartment. At the beginning, to be honest with you, my response to the kids here in the United States was um, that of arrogance and anger. You know, it wasn't compassion. You know, I felt like, man, these kids are entitled. You know, these kids, these kids don't know what poverty is like. These kids don't know what trauma is like. Um, but then, you know, I started listening to their stories. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, kids coming to my apartment. There were 10, 15 of these boys come to my apartment. Their parents would never look for them. You know, it was late at night, I would kick them out. And I'm like, there's something going on here. And I would hear their stories. Some of them didn't grow up with their parents. Some of them, um, you know, one of them had to call 911. um, And he was 10 because his mom had OD'd in the bathroom on heroin. And he said this in the most nonchalant way. Like, this was just normal. Um, And that's when I began to really feel that, you know what, I grew up in this environment and I learned a lot of things and I overcame a lot of things. And now I was presented with an opportunity to be here. And I felt like this had to be for somebody else. Um, And so I started teaching these kids and I started tutoring them. But at the same time, I started building character and resiliency in them um, in my living room. And that's kind of how it happened. Turned 20, got married. um, And then, um, you know, uh, there was a church um, who had a building, um, pastor of the church had a vision. So I told the pastor of that church, hey, man. Um, you know, you don't use your building five days out of the week. I know how we can reach the community. Use your building. Nothing religious. Um, and so it was, he said okay to that. So went to the public school, nearest public school. Told them what was happening in my living room. And the principal, man, the only question he had for me, she had for me was how many kids can you take? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we said 60 kids. Um, we got 60 kids. Put me in the enrollment of their middle school. And that's kind of how it began. Um, and it was, um, it was the concept of really loving these kids, letting them know, man, you know what? No matter what circumstance you have in your life, you have a family. You know, it happens on the mats all the time. You have a family, but then at the same time, teaching them 
a lot of the things that are innate in jujitsu where you know it's it's um you know you got to build grip you got to build resiliency you got to have self-control in your life you know you can't control what other people do to you just like jujitsu you can't control them but you can always control your game play your game and you know and then eventually it evolved to what we're doing now where it's um you know it's archery dance music steam um, all these things and, and jiu-jitsu, of course, and boxing and also now doing it during the school day as part of the school system, as part of the public school, not just during after school. And also now doing a lot of the social emotional learning, which is that resiliency, self-control focus, delivering that through dance, music, jiu-jitsu, um, archery, boxing, delivering that during the school day for these kids and kids that are living in high poverty, high trauma environment so now we went from the 15 kids in my living room mm. to now 1500 to almost 2000 kids by the end of this year that we're going to be serving um part of the public school system yeah that is amazing man and i you know and that was that's your calling you know i see that that's the your life purpose you know it's very clear to that and i appreciate that very much now how I would like you to expand on how was your mindset back then when you had the vision to start? Because oftentimes a lot of people that are listening to this would like to give back. I'm not even saying like to a large, large scale, but sometimes people want to give back. And man, I don't even know how to give back or do I have time or this and that. So when you decided to pursue this vision, I don't know, maybe some of the doubts and fears came up. Am I going to be able to pull this off? How did you deal with some of those self-doubts that are normal in our everyday life? Like you said, you know, the resilience to deal with those negative thoughts. So how did you deal with it? Yeah, no, I, I and, and to begin with, I want people to know those self-doubts are still there. It just goes on a bigger scale. It's mm -hmm. just like jiu-jitsu. That's why I love jiu-jitsu. You know, you can be a black belt and, you know, when you're, there's still that same, you know, sometimes question like, can I pull this off? Can I do this? You know, it just becomes bigger because you're fighting a black belt and, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, what you experience as a white belt still carries on. You, you just learn how to react to it quicker and you learn more solutions, you know, than, than just one solution as a white belt. Um, so when I first began, definitely the, the first things were, man, I'm so young. I was 20. Um, I'm from a different culture. And so giving back, there was always this question, do I really have something to offer? You know, I, I, what what do I actually have to offer to these kids? And then eventually, you know, within a few months, parents were coming up to me. And, you know, and these parents were twice my age. And then I was leading people um, who were twice my age who've done this longer than me. So the first self-doubt was, what do I really have to offer? You know, uh, you know I, I'm not a perfect person. And I feel like sometimes that's where people always have that struggle. Like, well, man, you know, I'm just as messed up as these kids. You know, mm -hmm. how could I give back to them? Or I'm just as messed up as this. Or I have my own struggles. But, you know, I want to tell people that's the beauty of it. You know, when you are, when you recognize that you have those same struggles, but you're willing to jump in and help in anyway, it becomes a, a work of service rather than this idea of I'm superior and I'm going to help. It becomes this, you know what, man, I know what you guys are going through and I may not have all the answers, but I'm willing to find out the answers with you. 
And again, it's just like jiu-jitsu. You know, the black belt doesn't always have all the answers, but you know that they're there. They've struggled on the mats. You know that they're going to jump in with you. And, 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 and that's really the idea that helped me. It's like, you know what? I may not have a lot to offer, but at the end of the day, I do have a different experience to offer. I do have different ways of coming up with things to offer. And you know what? I'm willing to discover alongside with these kids and these parents what it is they need and what it is they want. And you know what? That's all the community really needs. Um, you will be surprised how many kids are out there, how many families are out there who just want someone who's willing to walk alongside with them. They're not necessarily looking for all the answers. They just want to know that there's someone willing to find the answers with them, willing to kind of trial and error with them. And when you get into that mindset, it's just like getting on the mats. You know, the hardest thing to convince people is to step in that mats. And you know what? But once you do, once you do, it's, 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 it's beautiful and it's a journey of self-discovery. And the best thing about serving people is in the process of serving people, you find yourself, you know? And so for those of you that are like, you know what? I don't know how to give back. Just do it. Find one thing that's speaking to you, you know, something that makes you either angry or sad. You know, it made me angry that kids didn't have equal opportunity or that they were being abused. You know, some people, it makes them angry that veterans are, are not being helped. Some people, it's the homeless people that, you know, find that one thing that every time you look at it either makes you angry or makes you feel like I got to do something. And you know what? Just jump in and you will be surprised the things you discover about yourself. And, and in the process, it will grow you. It will grow, the experience will grow you so much more than just, you know, you know what, I'll help when I'm ready. No, do it when you're not ready. And you will be surprised how much it will make you ready for everything else. That's amazing. And reminded me too, on episode five, I interview Pete Roberts. He's the CEO of Origin. And the title of the podcast is Let Your Irritations Inspire You. Because <laughs> very often... That's I learned this a few years ago with this guy saying how a lot of the entrepreneurs, that's how it started. You're annoyed with something like, well, if it really irritates and annoy you that much and well, do something about it, I guess, you know, and so that's basically what you're saying. Now, and during this journey, what has been as far as since you start giving back when you came here in team, what is the biggest struggle that you have that you face during this process and what did you learn from it so the biggest struggle is always that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness because at some point in giving back um you begin to realize that man there's always more there's mm -hmm. always more to do i'm not doing enough there's all these other issues you know we're working with children specifically trauma and poverty and we're addressing you know social emotional learning skills but then at the end of the day, you know, I'm looking, you know, they go back home and there's this poverty, you know, the, the, the hunger and the, the homelessness is real. And we're not necessarily doing anything about that, you know. And so there's always that feeling that, man, is it even really worth it? 
you know, or, or sometimes, you know, you, you're mentoring a kid and you see all these progress and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they just get into the bad mix and then they get arrested or, or sometimes they go home and, you know, the parents undo everything that you're working on yep. or the school undoes everything you're working on, you know. Um, and, and this is a common, this fatigue is common in anybody who's worked social work or nonprofit. I've talked to so many people about this. And, and it's that like, man, is it even worth it? And usually the response I've found in the community is either of three ways. The first most common one is they become jaded and they become kind of like, eh, whatever. And they take this really almost heartless attitude. You know what? Everything's just going to be a number. I'm going to disconnect because it's the only way I can cope. You know, and I'm going to disconnect and everything will just be a number. And you know what? I found that's not healthy. That's how you find, you know, teachers, social workers who are just, you know, like a robot. They're just doing it day in, day out. And I say that's not healthy. The second one is people quit. You know, people quit. They just leave the sector um, and they do something else because it's so much. But the, the thing that I've learned about it is, man, you are not alone. You know, don't be a lone wolf. You know, it's um. Yeah, I, you know, I keep going back to jujitsu because really, I've, I've, I, to me, jujitsu and life is so they run side by side. And and you know, in jujitsu, you can only be as good as your training partners. You know, I mean, YouTube is great, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can only learn so much from 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 watching people with technique. You there's know, the, so so much shadow jujitsu that you can do, I guess. You know, hip yeah, tapes and so forth. Yeah, there's only so much of that before you need a training partner, and, and you know, and that's the other thing too. There's only so much uh, black belts can give to you before you need people of your level to train with, to really make you better. Because if you only train with the black belts all the time, you know, you're you're never gonna get as good as you need to be. You know, because again, you need people or at the same level at you to push mm -hmm. you so that you can try techniques that, you know, will never work on a black belt, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, until you're at their level, you know? And so, and so, but that's the deal too. When you're helping people, you need to find other people who are equally irritated and passionate about the things you're irritated and passionate about who are experiencing the same thing. Because trust me, just like jujitsu, man, you know, sometimes it's a white belt. When I was a white belt, I felt alone. You know, I felt like, man, I'm the only one with this struggle. Until I talked to other white belts mm -hmm. and I realized, oh, look at that. <laughs> you know, they also don't know how to deal with this. Okay, I don't feel so bad anymore. And then, you know, and then you begin to reach out to the community and you ask them, hey, how do you deal with this? You know, I always tell people during the earliest um, parts of my jiu-jitsu, the best coaches for me were the blue and purple belts. You know, because they weren't too far off from my struggles yet. And, and, and so they were able to show me at their level, you know, what, what needed to be done. You know, now as a purple belt, yeah, I like the brown and black belts because that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but during the earlier parts of my, you know, my, my jujitsu life, it was, the, it was the blue belts and the, 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 the purple belts that I really learned a lot from. Because again, it was them. And it's the same thing when giving back. It's the people around you that are doing your work, man. Reach out to them. You are not alone. They're, they have the same frustrations as you do. And maybe look for someone who's done it a little bit longer than you because now they have coping mechanisms um, that might help you. you know? and, 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 and again, it's turning back to that community. Man, you said something so important 
that was parents that kind of undo your job. You know, and sometimes you can have a powerful class and inspirational and someone at home is not on the same page. So what happened is for people who are listening right now don't know maybe much about my work. I do a lot of different things. And one of them being the BJJ mental coach is helping people to perform better to how to deal with the emotions of competing. But at the same time, big picture, how can you transfer everything that you're learning from jiu-jitsu competitions and transfer to your personal and professional life? And people always ask me why you don't create a program for kids. Why don't you speak kids that often? In my public, I like to talk with older crowd of 30 and over because exactly that reason, you can have an amazing powerful talking and you get home and be like, live your dream. What? Who are talking about that? You know, and completely sure. Are they going to listen to who? To, to me or to them? You know, so my job is when I go to, when I speak, I do my best to kind of like poke the parents too. You know what I mean? When I have a chance, I always poke the parents because if I'm going to make them different in my case with the knowledge that I have, I would rather go after the dads and, and the mom that open their mind to be like, that's true. That's a good point. You know, to have different perception and hopefully minimize the chance of involuntary, un- we're going to pass our patterns to our kids. So if you can filter them better, minimize the chance of rep- passing some patterns, negative patterns, especially on whether we like or we don't unconsciously, if, you know, we end up passing a lot of them. And my idea is to bring more self-awareness to the parents to be like, hey, check this out, you know? So, yeah, so they, so they can inspire more. So that is, an, man, such a huge challenge that you have in your hand. How do you deal with this in a large scale? I'd <laughs> love to hear that. Um, and, and let me preface this by saying, just like jiu-jitsu, I don't necessarily have the all the answers and the correct answers for this yet and we're honestly still trying to really perfect that part of it and and it's honestly a question across the sector how do we deal with parents because um and 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 for those of you out there listening that have ever ever coached you know parents ruin sports i mean i'm just gonna call it out (laughs) right and and because again and 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 you know they they just do even in jujitsu we actually have a rule in our mats that parents are not allowed they're not allowed to coach their kids if they're there they are there to watch if they want to say something to their kids they say it after and it better be encouraging in front of me because i will literally challenge them all right why don't you go and step on the mats Mm -hmm. because to me it's like you 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 gotta change your mindset and so what we've found most effective are, are the following things. Number one is really showing outcomes with the kids um, on a large scale. You know, when we're able to show parents that their kids are changing and their kids are listening and their kids are getting better outcomes because they're listening to us, because they're listening to our coaching, they're listening to our lessons on self-control and grit, parents begin to get curious because usually too, you know, parents have the same struggles as kids. And, and, you know, and sometimes that's the hardest things to make adults realize is that, you know what, we as adults have the same struggles. The only difference is we've either gotten better at hiding it 
or for those healthier, you know, we've gotten better at having coping mechanisms. And, and, and so a lot of times, you know, a lot of times parents will see the outcomes with their kids and they're like, well, I want that for my life. You know, how did you get, and we get that all the time. I don't know what magic water you're feeding my kid, mm-hmm. but my kid went from getting into fights in schools every day to all of a sudden having zero, zero fights in the last three months. I don't know how you did that. Or, you know, my kid is now talking to me about going to college. They're driving me insane. I don't believe in it. Trust me, we've had parents who say they don't believe in college. You know, what are you doing? And once we've stoked the parents' curiosity, our approach is now, instead of telling them, you suck, you know, all of this, you know, you're doing a terrible job. Our approach is, hey, why don't you you know, why don't you sit down and let's find out, you know, and, and, and let me listen to you as a parent. What are your struggles? You know, let me listen to you as a parent. What are your struggles? And usually parents love that because at the end of the day, the parents also have their own personal struggles. Adults have their personal struggles and they also want the same thing the way their kids do. They want someone willing to not tell them they're terrible people, but to tell them, hey, I'm willing to listen and let's discover what you have together. And then at that point, parents are usually willing to listen to us. Parents are usually willing to accept what we're telling them. And parents are usually at that point are like, you know what, let me try that. And you know, the craziest thing is that's when we find the most turnaround with kids. It's when we can convince parents absolutely to do the change themselves then kids, like you said, you know, they're with their parents more than anybody else. And then at that point, kids really do a, man, 180-degree turnaround. Now, to be honest with you, you know, some parents still don't get it. Mm-hmm. And they will fight tooth and nail. And for those parents, um, what we've, and I, I hate to put it this way, what we've found is we just really focus on the kids. Mm-hmm. And we give the kids as much as we can and we show them a different example. And our hope is that they see two different lifestyles and two different outcomes and they choose the outcomes that they can see have the best results. Um, and, and, and you win some and you lose some. And, you know, and, 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 and that's the part where sometimes we just got to let go and we just have to understand that, you know what, um, we're going to do everything that we can with this kid um, but at the end of the day, if parents aren't willing to work with us, then we just keep working with the kid and do as far as we can push. Yeah, because when they have that, so the parents have that so deep ingrained belief and you're not able to touch that for him to reevaluate that belief or self-limited belief that he has and is passing on to the child, it will not reflect on a behavior, period. You know, it's just get that order of the beliefs and the thoughts and feelings and behavior. And and you want to change the behavior, you have to change the belief. And then if someone, it's not emotionally mature enough to reevaluate those negative beliefs or holding him and his family back, there's so much that you can do, like you said. So it's a, man, that's isn't a crazy challenge that you guys have. Now, when uh, so we've been for people who don't know the Arizona Federation has been supporting higher ground for a few years now and this year you show that project of ex- the expansion of the jiu-jitsu program of the personal development which is incredible by the way and 
I don't know, I'd love you to share some of the, the basic foundation that you teach to the kids that could help people who are listening to this, the entrepreneurs, like you said, foundation, the basics, that's basic for everyone, yeah. you know? So what, what are some of the concepts that you teach that you feel that is super impactful that for the, for the child, for the parents, for anyone who's listening to this? So where did you find the most success? Um, so there's three concepts that we ingrain, and I mean ingrain, we talk almost on a daily basis with the kids. Um, the first one is self-control, and I'll expound on each one of them. Um, we, we, we teach kids a lot of this, and this is something that's foundational, and I, I truly believe a lot of people, no matter what sector you are in your life, you need to learn this. The second one is resilience or grit. You know, that, that, that whole idea. And, and grit isn't just about working harder and not quitting. There's so much more to that. The third one is growth mindset. And I'm going to start talking about the third one first. So growth mindset is this idea and this foundational idea that to me can be summarized in things. The first one is there is no such thing as talent. Everything in life can be learned. Now, I'm not saying there are people who don't have advantages. Yes, there are people who have advantages. But at any given point in time, the moment you begin to believe in your life that there's talent, you begin to paralyze yourself. Because what you begin to tell yourself is, and that person is talented, that was a gift to him, he was born with. And the moment you internalize that belief, Becomes problematic because now deep down inside you say to yourself that you have a limit because you will never be as good as that person that's talent. But the reality of it is, when you look at every scientific data out there, talent is nothing more than time and effective practice that these people have put in hours and hours and hours and effective practice, smart practice that can be done. The second part to me, the growth mindset is. We have to be willing to embrace mistakes and failures. You know, and, 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 and this is something that I tell, um, you know, people who want to start businesses, uh, parents, um, teachers all the time. It's like, we cannot be the type of people that are afraid to make mistakes, afraid to take risks, we're afraid of failing. The moment you are afraid of that, then you, again, you stop yourself. Because failure and mistakes, these are the things that define and shape who we are. You know, I, again, it goes back to jiu-jitsu. You know, if you're not willing to take risks in, in jiu-jitsu, you will never get a submission. Because the whole idea of a submission is you're sacrificing a little bit of position to get mm -hmm. that submission. You have to be willing to take that risk. You will never get good at jiu-jitsu if you're not willing to embrace mistakes. You know, I, I, you know, there's that famous saying in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a white belt and a black belt is that a black belt has tapped 10,000 times. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the same thing in life. You have to be willing to do that. And so that's growth mindset. Because when you're willing to understand that everything can be learned because there's no such thing as talent, as long as you're willing and smart practice and and that you are willing to embrace mistakes and when people call you out on your mistakes on your failures you don't cower you know you don't point to other people you don't blame other people but instead you say yep i made that mistake i made that failure now what do i do to change that when you're willing to do that you will grow 
Mm-hmm. And whatever it is you're pursuing, whether it's a business, whether it is as a parent, whether it is as a student, whether it's your college, whatever it is you're pursuing, man, you will grow. And that's why, you know, it's called the growth mindset. Second one is grit or this idea of resilience. Um, you know, and, and to us, grit is really finding that one thing or several things in your life that you are not going to negotiate with. These are the things you believe it's very important and you are going to work at it no matter what. And you're not going to quit. What we found is we now have a generation that wants things quick. Mm-hmm. And when things don't happen quick, they quit. You know, it's, uh, in jiu-jitsu, we call this the blue belt syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get the blue belt, you know, and then they quit. Because after blue belt, the progress is no longer fast. You know, mm-hmm. as a white belt, the progress is pretty fast. You know, if you're training every day as a white belt or you're giving it enough time, you progress pretty fast. I mean, all of a sudden, you're doing arm bars, triangles, omoplatas, sweeps, guard pass, right? All these things. And as a blue belt, things kind of start to slow down. You know, because now you have a target on your back. And now, you know, now things get a little bit harder. And now things get a little bit more frustrating because you're going back to the same things you learned, but now you have to hone it and master it. A lot of people, and and so, and it's the same thing in life. A lot of people, they stop the moment they see a little bit of progress. It's the most frustrating thing to watch people. You know, right when they're finally got it, they quit. Because now the walls become taller. And you're like, man, you have climbed that far. Why quit now? You know, that's what I always tell people. Like, this is why a lot of people don't succeed. It's because, you know, in business, a lot of people think, oh, you know, you know, you, you, we're, we're going to get it. And they love hearing the success stories. What they don't understand is five years into business is really when you realize whether things will get successful or not. I mean, you read any business book, you know, the first five years and then 10 years into business is when you finally see growth. You know, Mm -hmm. even for us, we looked at this five years, we finally stabilize. And then 11th year now, we're finally seeing growth. You know, but if we would have quit five years ago, no man, we would have missed it, you know? And, And so to me, that's why it's so important to teach kids, you know, don't quit. Instead of quitting, find ways around it. So the wall got taller. Maybe you can dig under instead of climbing it. You know, instead mm-hmm. of pushing at it, maybe, maybe, maybe you can find a different tool, but find different ways through. And finally, this idea of self-control. You know, a lot of people, they tell me, you know, I want to do this. But man, they're not even willing to put a schedule in their life. You know, it's like they're not even willing to wake up early in the morning because they love their sleep more than what it is they're pursuing. You know, or, or, or you know, a lot of people will tell me, you know, I, I want to be in as good shape as you are. I don't understand how you're the CEO married with two kids and you're also the pastor, you're also a pastor, and yet you're still in shape. You still find this and you still compete. You know, and, and they, they tell me, and, and, and I look at them and I'm like, you know what, if you want to do that, you're not even willing to control your eating. You're not even willing to control your schedule. You're never going to get anywhere. And there's this slide that people buy into that they think, oh, I want to do all these things. They're not willing to 
control themselves. They're not willing to, you know what? Instead of watching TV three hours a day, television three hours a day, limit yourself. Pull yourself. Okay, 30 minutes. Make it an hour. You know, hide that cell phone. You know, that's the other thing I tell people. You want to be productive? Hide that cell phone. Don't even walk around with it. Hide it in your drawer. Don't touch it. You know, and, 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 and this is something we tell kids. Have some self-control. Self-control goes a long way. When you wake up in the morning, find that routine. Find those habits where even when it sucks, even when you don't feel like doing it, you do it anyway. And you're not doing it for any other reason than I'm going to myself. I'm going to deprive myself of what feels good right now because I'm pursuing something that will feel good way later on. And so we teach kids these three basic foundational principles. We lace it in everything that we do, whether it's archery, jiu-jitsu, dance, music, whether it's talking to a kid, whether it's talking to a parent. We lace those three things because, you know, just like a white belt shrimping, you know, it's a forever move that you will use. These three things are forever moves that any human being needs in their life. And that's why you find people who are in their 30s and still not having achieved anything or in their 30s and are already like pursuing multiple things. Or you find people that are in their 70s and already, you know, already given up on life versus people who are in their 70s and man, they're still, they're still skydiving. They're still pursuing mm-hmm. things because when you look at it, it's always these three things. They don't believe that talent is necessary. They believe, they believe mistakes are embraceable and, and you learn from it and they don't quit. They have that attitude of, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to find other ways. I'm not going to quit right when I'm so close. And that third part is, man, they have so much self-control. They know when they need to deprive themselves of the things that feel good in order to pursue things. Don't feel quite as good now, but will feel really good later. Awesome. And I love all the three points. Amazing description and the self-control. I'm less weak, you know, because after the, interview i i do this call final thoughts i give some teach some personal development and i share a little bit of you know what the the guest was talking about and i mentioned that there's this guy that i that i follow his website's actualize.org he does an amazing job leo gura and uh, he's saying the key to success is to discipline your mind you know and that's when it comes to self-control when you have the self-control you discipline your mind things change and for, right. pe- and for people who want to know more about the mindset have the amazing book mindset for from carol dweck that yes. talks about the growth mindset a powerful book man this is so i'm very familiar with the concept i'll probably in a final thoughts expand a little bit more for people it's it's incredible like is exactly what we're saying some with like the victim syndrome oh no this is all because me da 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 or finding the ways to blame and so forth. So it's an incredible book. So people have a chance to get a hold of mindset. It's, it's amazing. So this is, it's so powerful. It would be even more powerful if the parents could be on the same page of the kids with us three. You know Absolutely. I mean? <laughs> that would take literally to another level, but it's, it's so, it's, it's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. What do you feel that is one high-performance habit that you use that, have been, that has helped you 
during your jujitsu journey in your life, something that you practice every day that you carry with you and has been helping you? So um, the one thing that I practice every day is, um, is a reflection session. Mm -hmm. So every morning and every night, I reflect on what I've done today and what I need to do tomorrow. And this reflection session always is around what I believe is my purpose in life. See, I feel like a lot of people just wake up in the morning and they don't know what their purpose is. So they do, you know, they're, they're automatons. They just do things because it's what they're supposed to do. But for me, you know, I've always told people there are three things that in my life are my purpose and are non-negotiable. And these are the three things by which my day-to-day -day life will revolve around. And, you know, for me personally, it's my faith. You know, the, you know my, my growth in my faith, my spiritual journey you know, with God. My second one is my calling, um, which is higher ground, which is what I'm doing now, impacting, you know, the community and kids. My third one, and again, this is by no means level of importance. My, my third one is my family, mm -hmm. you know, my wife and my kids. And so I always tell people, if it has nothing to do with those three things, I won't do it. You know, and, and, and I reflect on that. Every night and every morning, I reflect, what am I doing today that serves these three purposes? You know, what am I doing today that these three things are served by? And then at the end of the night, I reflect, what did I do today that served these three things? And what did I do that maybe did not? And why did I do that? You know, and, and, and how do I, because we only have a limited amount of time in life. People don't realize that you know, time runs out. There's no amount of money that can buy back time. So to me, reflecting on the efficiency of how you use your time and how it's building to your purpose is the most important thing I do every morning, every night. It helps guide what I do. You know, it, it helps ensure that I stay focused. And, and no matter how stressed out I am, what it's done for me is it helped me realize, you know what, despite my stresses today, today I did at least one of the three things because one of those three things I'm always going to do something right at least that day and so then you have this attitude where you can be grateful you know what and achieve everything I needed to achieve today but today you know, I did this with my family and that satisfies that you know today I did this regarding higher ground that satisfies that and 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 every morning every night man it, it, it's, it's a habit that I've kept for 20 years, for, for, yeah, actually since high school. So it's almost been 20 years that I've been keeping this habit. I actually have a journal every night that I do that reflection on. And then every morning I do this when I wake up. I, it's the first thing I do. And so that's one thing. Yeah, this is an amazing high-performance habit. For sure is a high-performance habit. I, I like this practice, when, which I do as well. Like this morning, I have my morning routine and things that I do. And, and I have some of the questions that I ask myself too. And, and one of them, it was exactly that, uh, similar to that. So what you mentioned was, what is my mission of today? You know, what exactly is in congruence with what I believe, with my vision? And, and I was reflecting on, I have this interview and I'm recording another interview later. So part of my mission is doing an amazing job to inspire the listeners who listen to whatever topic we're going to be talking about. My mission is try to be as clear as possible to help you the best way possible for you to deliver your message. So this is part of the 
at the mission and questions like what must I accomplish today to progress my life, my vision? And that's when, okay. And then I go and I go to my board back here and I go and I put the list of, okay, these are the things that need to be accomplished. Now, one of, yeah, exactly. I can see him or his, uh, his board behind too. I have a whiteboard. He has one too. And one of the things too, that is very important, uh, Jens, I don't know if that's something that you practice, but this is something that over the years I picked up more and I feel the last two years pick, picking up a lot more momentum that, as you mentioned, there's times that you stress, there's times that you're not able to accomplish everything that you want in a day. And to be aware, not to be too hard on yourself, but self-compassion and self-forgiveness, it's an incredible habit, tool, whatever you want to call, because sometimes you'd be like, oh my God, I was supposed to do this. I didn't do what's wrong with you. Da, da, da. And uh, that's something that I learned to, okay, I'm not going to have perfect days. That's okay. You know, I have my intentions and help to literally forgive yourself and move on. This is a practice that I stepped up a lot in the past two years and past year. And I continue to work on. Is this something that you, you practice as well? Absolutely. It's, it's part of the reason why in my reflection, there are three things because no matter what, there's always going to be one of those things where I did something mm -hmm. where I can focus on that for that day. Because, you know, if you're a high performing person and even if you're not, but if you're a high performing person, part of that is because you push yourself. Sometimes that really does become negative because you, yourself it stresses you out sometimes you don't achieve everything and there are days when everything you want to achieve just didn't happen mm -hmm. you know but again it's always finding that little nugget where it doesn't matter today I advanced this in my life they mm -hmm. this happened in my life and, and you know what there are days where, where that's good enough you know going back to jiu-jitsu Sometimes, you know what, you have a bad role. You had several bad roles, but at yeah. the end of the day, you know, you got to take whatever victory you have. You know, you know what today, my, my coach didn't submit me 10 times. He mm. only submitted me one time. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that. You know? mm -hmm. I'm going to take that. And, 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 you know, and, and, and part of like, I learned from highly, you know, highly competitive people. This is something you practice as well, what you're talking about. You know, and that's why they don't burn out because you see it all the time with athletes who burn out, you know, especially those for years. But the, the competitors who haven't burned out, they practice that self-forgiveness. They understand that there will be days where body won't co cooperate with you. You know, you're just a little off and they're okay with that. They forgive themselves of that. And that way, the next day, they don't feel bummed out and they don't feel like, man, I had a bad day yesterday. I wonder if I'm going to have a bad day Instead, you know, they have that. You know what? That's okay. It happens. Awesome. Now, what do you would you say that is the best advice you've ever received? And you can go to any route you want. You can go life. You can go business, uh, jujitsu, anything. What is uh, one of the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received is that plan for failure. Mm -hmm. Everything that can go wrong will and can go wrong. It's people who plan with that mindset that achieve victory mm -hmm. because when you plan a lot of people what they do is they plan the celebration <laughs> you know and they, they they always think oh everything's gonna work out well but but you know what when you when you when you plan for failure you cover all the bases you plan for every possibility you think of and so you end up actually planning for 
who end up planning. And, and you know, it's the same thing with jiu-jitsu. You know, a lot of people, they just, you know, they just drill their attacks. You know, it's the one thing I said, I wish more coaches would have white belts actually drill skates. You know, you know, if as a white belt, you learn really good how to escape and you learn all of that, man, you are set for life, you know, mm-hmm. because, because again, planning for failure. And, and, and I remember, you know, um, my father, um, when, when I was younger, his, his advice to me um, was something similar. It was always hope for the best, but expect the worst. And mm-hmm. It's the same, same kind of mindset, you know. There's one episode I think was episode 19. I'm like, I don't remember, but the title from uh, Camille Moldovano, he's from Romania. Uh, w- the title is, and that was basically the main takeaway of the episode, what is the worst case scenario? So every time you get ready for some entrepreneurial journey, some new ventures, and I'm like, okay, what can happen? What is the worst case that's scenario? Right. If that's the worst? Okay, let's do it. And that's very powerful. And that's how people really accomplish incredible things because sometimes people they put a lot of focus on they're like they go there they say like okay you go there but you don't focus on that you just go there you're aware that this is the worst case scenario that's okay just leave it right there but don't say some people go there and stay there and Mm -hmm. then end up just not doing what they wanted because of that so important for everyone like yeah think about plan for the worst but don't stay there just be aware yeah just be aware exactly (laughs) they can they can happen now what advice would you give to the, your, the younger self when you started Higher Ground? If you have a chance to go to talk with the younger Jensen, be like, hey, Jensen, I'm coming back from the future. I just want to drop this off real quick to you. What would you tell him? Um, I, know it's, I know it's hard, just one thing. It would be like, no, how much yeah. time I got? <laughs> um, I think it's, um, it's this idea of Rome wasn't built in a day. Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. When I was younger, um, even my jiu-jitsu, man, even my workouts, they were always about pushing as fast as possible and everything was a sprint. Um, it wasn't until, honestly, even in jiu-jitsu when I got an injury and I, I told myself, I want to do this for a long time. I want to be 70 years old and still doing jiu-jitsu. And that's not going to be possible if I keep, if I keep, sprinting all the time um and that's the same thing in life in business you know what life is a marathon you know rome wasn't built in a day it's a marathon um there's moments when you gotta sprint yes Mm -hmm. recognize that but remember you're in here for the long haul you want to do this for a long time and you know pace yourself you know and and the more you can pace yourself the, the better it is what is some of the book that you'd recommend and why I always like to mention to the guests that because there's some amazing books that you've read, but it's always sometimes the time that the book came in your life. Yeah. You know, you read something five years ago and you're like, eh, nah, it's not that good. And then five years later you read it. It's like, oh my God, yeah. where's this book have been? You know, so what would you say that is one book that made a big impact on you and I don't know what moment in your life? Um, you know, uh, it's the book by Dr. Angela Duckworth, who um, is one of my um, mentors and, and friend. Um, it's, it's the book Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Um, it made so much impact in my life because um, it gave a science to what I've instinctively been doing in my life. And it confirmed that, you know what, 
I'm not that crazy. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. a validation and, and, for you, yeah, right? It's a validation, and 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 it really validated the work that we're doing here at Higher Ground, and then more importantly, the way I've the way way I've lived life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um so yeah, it's 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 uh, Dr. Angela Duckworth, grit, the power of passion and perseverance. Amazing book. Um, my son, um, when he was nine, did a book report on it. My nine-year-old. Wow. And, um, and it cost him, uh, not that he needs more drive in his life. This, this boy, and right now, his drive is insane. But, you know, it cost him to, in his journal, because he started a journal already, set some goals. and, and really incredible, dude. Out. Yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah. So that book's definitely, definitely amazing. I've got about two minutes. So what are you currently excited about? Just tell a little bit more what's going on with the higher ground. I'd love to hear that. Are you getting closer to the end? So I'd love to hear more what's going on. Man, um, what is not going on mm-hmm. <laughs> might, be a, uh, might be a shorter answer. Um, right now, the most exciting thing, uh, there's two most exciting things. The first one is what we call community schools. Um, this is really this idea of higher ground integrating into public school system, not just from a program perspective, but from a culture perspective. So now we're doing professional development with teachers, we're staffing schools, with some of our staff members, we're putting teams in schools, and we're co-located in schools, and we're, the, the, the schools are doing what they do best, which is training kids academically, and we do what we do best, which is training kids in social-emotional learning and surrounding the school other support systems through other nonprofits. So that's super exciting because it really expands higher ground from you know from one you know from one programmatic concept to a cultural thing in schools. Um, then the second most exciting thing is we're in the middle. Uh, we have a patent for a software um, that helps us really analyze what's the best way to coach kids in social emotional learning and in life, and how do we map. Um, and that's in the process of development. And so that is a tool that will really, really not just enhance what we do, but if it works, um, it will enhance the lives of many, many, many school districts. So for people who don't know, I have, uh, I, I co-founded the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu years ago. And uh, for people who haven't visited, it's livejujitsu.org. There's a dash in between the jiu-jitsu and uh, now we've been we've got a team of five people really making this happen moving moving faster now so it's been great and if you go to the website you can find different projects that we've been supporting so you can actually go in and choose which one you can donate so that's one way that you can help higher ground and donate there you can click on higher ground so you're going to learn a little bit more about their program and that's how we will be able to redirect funds and so forth so we just started with this so it's um, super nice but how people can donate and learn more about higher ground any information you can give to them absolutely uh first i really want to thank you for this opportunity and the opportunities you've given us for those of you that may not be aware gustavo for the last five six years has ensured that our kids have an experience that they would otherwise not be able to experience you know by by sponsoring them uh giving them geese and all these things so been incredible and being on your show I really feel honored um, as far as our nonprofit goes again um, our website is higherground.me uh, spelled as higher ground h-i-g-h-e-r 
G-R-O-U-N-B dot M-E. Um, there's a donate link there. You'll learn more about us. People can also directly email me at jansen at higherground.me and ask me questions. Um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty responsive when it comes to emails um, and, and feel free to kind of check things out. Um, and, then, um, and then if you ever want a tour or any of those things feel free to do that again the, our website is higherground.me or again uh, my email is jansen at higherground.me awesome thank you so much jansen incredible work and in live jiu-jitsu gonna turn it up with you for a long time and our goal is to next year to be supporting even more i feel that we as you mentioned like we want to do more but like we help her like, man, we can do more. We can do more as, as <laughs> mentioned. and that's the idea next year. This year, I think we stepped up a lot, helping other, yes. other projects. So I'm super stoked with that. And, um, I'm super excited to, cause the program that you show, I can definitely see that being spread out in the country. I really can see that because such an amazing program, man. You know, I know you believe that and that's your vision, not just staying in Tucson. And yeah. what I mean is to get that bigger and you, and you're young, you're a young fella, you know, <laughs> and so you're going to see that spreading out and whatever live jiu-jitsu be able to do, you know, we'll do the best we can to support the program and everyone that can take a look at the, at the website, higher ground, go there, support, because we definitely need more programs like that. And, and for sure, you being a role model for a lot of people do want to give back and especially utilizing jiu-jitsu, not just jiu-jitsu, as you mentioned, other things, but for the jiu-jitsu community. This is a huge inspiration that how we can give back and uh, make a change, you know, everyone helping a little bit. So amazing. So thank you so much. And for all the listeners, just stick around for my final thoughts. Oos. See you soon, man. Thank you. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Jensen Azarius. If you're just listening to the final thoughts, Jensen is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and the founder of Higher Ground, a nonprofit organization that since 2011 has offered judo, jiu-jitsu, and personal development classes in its after-school program for youth in an economically disadvantaged area of Tucson, Arizona. Hopefully, you're able to grab at least one good piece of information personally I really enjoyed this conversation, and my takeaway was when I asked him about a concept he teaches to the kids that is foundational for any person, including entrepreneurs. He said that they literally ingrain three concepts to them daily. Number one, self-control. Number two, resilience or grit. And third one, growth mindset. And I chose the third one to expand even more on the growth mindset, which is a huge concept in personal development. I listened to the audiobook called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Dr. Carol Dweck. In decades of research on achievement and success, she wondered why some people avoid challenges and or crumble when faced with difficulties while others thrive and achieve their highest potential. Throughout the years, she developed the concept that there are two types of mindsets, fixed mindset and growth mindset. Essentially, Dr. Dweck states that people with a fixed mindset believe that basic qualities like intelligence and talents are fixed traits and that these traits are responsible for success. On the other hand, there is the growth mindset, 
in which people believe that new abilities can be developed through practice. This view creates the love for learning and improving. I will expand a little more on the difference between the two. In one of her experiments with how kids deal with failure, she decided to get a series of puzzles to them, starting with easy levels to more challenging ones. One kid during the hard puzzle said, I love a challenge. Another one said, I was hoping this would be informative. So she realized, well, they didn't think they were failing at all. They were learning. And Carol at the time during the 70s thought that human qualities were carved in stone, basically saying you were smart or you weren't. And failure meant you weren't. If you could arrange success and avoid failures, you could stay smart, which is a common trait of fixed mindset. Struggles, mistakes, and perseverance were just not part of the being smart picture. So here are a few core differences between the two mindsets in five areas. The first one, skills. People with a fixed mindset, they believe that it's something that you're born with. Now, with a growth mindset, they believe that it comes from hard work and you can always improve. Second one, regarding to challenges. Fixed mindset believe that this is something to avoid. It could reveal lack of skill and tend to give up easily. On the other hand, growth mindset, they feel that challenges should be embraced. An opportunity to grow and more persistent. The third one is effort. Fixed mindset, they believe that is unnecessary. Something that you do when you're not good enough. And for the growth mindset is essential, a path to mastery. The fourth one is regarding to feedback. Fixed mindset gets defensive and it take it personal. Now the growth mindset they find useful, something to learn from and they identify the areas to improve. And the last one regarding to setbacks. They blame others and they get discouraged, people with a fixed mindset. On the other hand, the growth mindset they use as a wake-up call to work harder next time. I read an article from PositivePsychologyProgram.com about mindset researches and so forth, and I'd like to read to you this information that is very valuable. Quote, research has shown that what makes students succeed is quite different from their cognitive abilities or the quality of the instructions they receive. Their success, in fact, depends on their belief about their intelligence and their abilities. In other words, their success depends on their mindset. Other researchers show that youngsters who believed or accepted that their personal characteristics can be developed, growth mindset, had notably lower aggressive tendencies and felt lower stress in response to the pressures from their peer group. Moreover, Dweck showed that accepting or learning that intelligence is fixed or unchangeable makes students think that the difficulties they face is the sign of their intellectual deficiencies or make them look dumb. In experiments with school children, Dr. Dweck found a surprising result. Praising children's talent or intelligence ruins their motivation and lowers their academic performance. Of course, praising children's talent will make them happy and proud, but only for a short while. As soon as they face a challenge or a setback, their confidence fade away. Because if success is a sign that they are smart, Failure should mean they lack talent 
and prove them dumb, fixed mindset. Dr. Dweck suggests that we should avoid praising our children's talent or intelligence and instead praise them for their diligence, effort, and consciousness, growth mindset, unquote. Maybe there are areas in your life that you feel that you have more of a fixed mindset based on your previous experience and beliefs and others you have more of a growth mindset. Nevertheless, the first step of four steps in changing our defeating fixed mindset to a growth mindset is self-awareness, to recognize our fixed mindset in action. Here are a few steps to change the fixed mindset to growth mindset. Step number one, as I mentioned, self-awareness. We talk a lot about this at the podcast. And think about this question. Do you think about what you think about? Think about that. So pay attention to your dark passenger, that negative voice that lives in your head and keeps telling you all those negative patterns, doubts, and securities. And keep that in mind that these negative patterns, they don't disappear. You learn how to control them. And self-awareness is the first step. Here's a simple BJJ example. Someone say, man, every time I play guard, someone passes. I'm not a guard player. I'm a top player. Have you ever heard of Henry Ford's quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. If that's what you believe, so it's true in your head. However, you can choose a different thought, which leads to the second step, which is step number two, understanding that you have a choice. So choose wisely. You don't have to stick with a fixed mindset. You must challenge this thought, which is step number three. The step number three is stand up for yourself because if you don't, your dark passenger will act like a bully in your mind saying, you're not a guard player. And you can fight back. You can say back, I'm not a guard player yet. I will improve. That is a growth mindset. Now that you're talking back to your dark passenger, go to step number four. The step number four is take the growth mindset action. Now that you're standing up for yourself, take on a new challenge, learn from setbacks, persist without exception, adjust your actions based on feedback, and so on. Take massive action, and you will see massive improvement. To close this episode, I'd like to share with you a quote from Michael Jordan, who displayed his growth mindset early in his career when he got cut from the varsity team and focus on getting better, which was foundational on becoming the greatest basketball player ever. Quote, I can't accept failure. Everyone fails at something. But I cannot accept not trying. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.